Super Talk Mississippi media production. In Mississippi, with our ever-changing weather, termites and household pests can disrupt your family life and take a toll on your home. Call Family Termite and let us help protect your home. 601-933-1014. Or reach us at www.family-termite.com. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Good to see you. Uh, here on 103.1, you may be listening on Facebook, either either at the Super Talk Gulf Coast Facebook page or the Super Talk Mississippi's Facebook page. You can also see us at the Super Talk YouTube page and uh, any of your favorite podcasts. We play uh, in the mornings at 9 and then again in the afternoons at 1. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to touch Coast View and the, the way we celebrate Coastal Mississippi. Has something I want to share with you. This is from John Mayer. Uh, the the uh, musician John Mayer, and he said this, if you're pretty, you're pretty, but the only way to be beautiful is to be loving. Otherwise, it's just congratulations about your face. <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty good, and it's true, man. You know, uh, some people might be pretty on the outside, but they, some people aren't very pretty on the inside, and I, I know a lot of beautiful people, and I don't care what they look like. They just are amazing people. My friend Susan Griggs posted this. The hard part isn't getting your body in shape. The hard part is getting your mind in shape. And we talk about that all the time on Coast View about, you know, you know, just trying to you know, think through how to get you uh, where you can be goal focused and and change your your point of view because so much negativity in this world. Coast View is about positivity and about trying to you know push things forward in a way that give you the chance to feel hopeful about things as they go forward. Speaking of hope, I have a good friend who's one of the most hopeful people I know is Ashley Edwards. He's the CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, and he's going to join me now. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm doing great, Ricky. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, listen, um, we're going to get, we got a lot to talk about today. We we haven't caught up, up in a while, but um, I was uh, I'm, I was on the phone with someone the other day, and I was looking out the, my back. I live on Back Bay, and there was a bald eagle and an osprey sparring with each other man i mean watching those two birds fly it looked like the eagle had the upper hand incidentally i posted that video at the ricky matthews coast view facebook page if you want to see it uh ed, ed scherzer scherzer who is uh works for the hurricane hunters posted on the site he said air force versus marines on the same team but always making each other better thought that was an interesting way to to, to uh, say it but man, that just one of many sites. I see a lot more, a lot more bald eagles these days. See, you know, obviously ospreys have always been sort of a staple in coastal Mississippi, but even see more of those. But man, we're lucky to live here and be able to see those sites, aren't we? We're lucky. And you know, it's it's amazing you mentioned the bald eagles. I have actually seen a lot more lately than than I have historically. It's it, I don't know if I'm noticing them more or if we really are seeing an uptick in the population. But uh, you know, driving across the uh, Driving across the bridge uh, from Hancock County over into Slidell uh, on the on the big power lines that are there up there, you see some bald eagles' nests actually sitting up there. So it's, it's it is kind of amazing that we live in, in this place and 
you know, people have to walk outside their door sometime and, and, and just take in all the things that are around us. Uh, I pinch myself sometimes because I forget, you know, we get, we get in this sort of day-to-day grind and then the monotony of, of everything going on day to day. And then you, you get out and you sit on the beach and you just get in silence for a few minutes. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It is incredible. I, I, I remember back in the first week of Cozy, the very, very first week I had Rick Carter and Terry Green from the Island View I had just a awesome conversation that that video has been viewed thousands of times. It's, it's funny. It's inspiring. A hell of a story. But one of the things we talked about, both Rick and Terry obviously traveled all over the world and we talked about, is there any other place in the world where you can see prettier sunrises or prettier sunsets? So it's just something about the way we're oriented here. It's uh, it's just most beautiful sunsets and sunrises in the world. In my opinion, don't you feel the same way? Well, you know, I think the other thing that's really amazing about about our market, and when you when you go to coastal markets around the United States, very few of them have the kind of you know uninterrupted public beach that we have. Most of the beach side is is privately owned, you know, and really most of the coastline around America that's developed. And what a special thing we have here not to have uh, condos and private owners that are all built on the south side of Highway 90 where you can't see the water. I mean, we, you know, it really is kind of an anomaly when you look at coastal markets across the United States. We have something really special. Yeah. In fact, um, I remember after Katrina, someone said, I don't know if it's exactly true, but it may be very true that there, there's only one other community in South Carolina. I don't remember the community where you can, l- l- you can drive a long stretch of beach where the view you know, to the beach is unencumbered where there are live oaks that line the beach. What a special, that's why, Hey man, that's why when cruising the coast happens here, people who come here from all over the country, they can't wait to come back again because it's just so darn unique. Something that's easy for us to take for granted, isn't it? Well, you know, people who are not classic car enthusiasts, I mean, they see cruising and it's always a lot of fun. We can see a lot of cars on our roads, but it is absolutely incredible to see the economic impact that a event like that has, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't really fully grasp just how important an event like that is for our economy. And, you know, as we continue to move forward, these types of events, that's a place where we can see really tremendous growth. I mean, that Mississippi Gulf Coast is positioned to host more of these types of events. And, uh, you know, hats off to all the folks who obviously created cruising the coast and the people that are involved in making it as good as it is now. But it is, it, that's what, it's just one of the great events in the country uh, and has huge impact for our local businesses. It, it really does. By the way, have you gotten your second shot yet or you got your first shot yet? Yeah. I have gotten my second actually. So I'm, yeah. uh, I'm now in my, my post second shot period. Didn't have any trouble with any of them. And I am just as best shot I've ever taken. I've never been more glad to take a shot in my entire life, but it, it, and it went really smoothly. I mean, that's another place you got to kind of say hats off because, uh, you know, Mississippi has done this pretty well, getting the vaccine rolled out and wide availability. Uh, you know, we're in, we're in certainly better shape than a lot of the uh, other states in the union, just in terms of our ease of access to get the vaccine. Yeah, we've done a real good job with that. I'll actually share some numbers here in just a second. Um, let's see, first shot, sore arm, second shot, sore arm, and I felt a little woozy for about 24 hours. I had previously had COVID, so they said if you had COVID, the second shot is as your uh, um, you know immune system started getting reset, that you you could have a bit of a reaction. I did, but you know I got up Sunday morning and felt great. I got mine Friday. Incidentally, this is I wanted to tell this story. I went up to the community road 
uh, Singing River Hospital to get mine. And boy, that the first time I went there, Anne had given my wife Anne had kind of given me a heads up that it was extraordinarily efficient the way that they you know took you through the process. So I got my shot the first time. So I was headed back there Friday. My show went a little late, so I got there just as they were you know shut everything down. So I, I missed getting my second shot at that moment. So got in my car, you know I was still in my, my truck, started riding toward back towards Cedar Lake near where I live. And thought, well, I'll call the Cedar Lake uh, Singer River Health System. They have a, a, a outpatient or, or uh, uh, urgent care, whatever you call it there. And um, I called and I said, well, tomorrow's Good Friday, so they're not going to be giving shots on, on Friday, but they could do it on Monday. And I thought, well, you know, I really want to get it done today if I can. So I called back up to Community Road. A, a very nice woman named uh, Carol answered the phone. And she said, come on back up here. Where, where are you now? So I th- I'm at the Woolmarket exit. She says, turn around, come back up here, park in the driveway, and just come on in the front door, and then I'll get, I'll get someone to come give you a shot. So I did. I mean, she had no idea who I was. I just a, you know, a guy looking for a shot. I walked in. The, the nice lady, Carol, behind the desk said, are you the guy looking for the second shot? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, okay, hang on one second. And it was just a couple of minutes and two nice nurses came out. They did the paperwork. I signed the form. She gave me the second shot. And man, it was five, five minutes and I was out of there. Of course, I had to wait the 15 minutes, you know, of course. But, um, but anyway, it was just such a great experience. And it's good to see, you know, companies, the hospital system, uh, so many are so eager to give us our shots to accommodate me that way. That was a, that was a hell of an experience. I, 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 have you been hearing stories like that? Have been, you know, I, I actually got my shots through the uh, through the health department process where they had the, you know, the, the public health uh, areas opened up where they were doing the vaccines, and uh, it was the Mississippi National Guard members that were doing it. You know, that's kind of interesting to see, you know, to be able to to deploy to deploy the National Guard and have them, uh, you know, getting shots in people's arms, super efficient. Uh, you know, didn't have to wait very long at all. They, they, you know, the process moved very quickly and, you know, what, what a great thing. I mean, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, I, you hear some of this about vaccine tourism and the fact that, you know, you've got some uh, easy ability to get a shot here in Mississippi and folks may be coming from other states. And there's been some debate about, well, do we want that to happen or not? And I say, absolutely, bring, bring them on. If we have excess capacity and we have the ability to do that, let's let's have people come to Mississippi and get it done. Um, you know, maybe spend a few dollars while they're here. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. So as of Sunday, 106.2 million people have received at least one dose. 61.4 million have got have been fully vaccinated. That's either with the Johnson and Johnson single dose or with the Pfizer or Moderna shots. Uh, that's incredible. We actually hit a record in the last couple of days: four million COVID vaccine doses in one day. That, that's uh, that's pretty significant. So uh, if you look at where we are right now, about 32% of the people have gotten at least the first dose. If you uh, if you fast forward that on the current rate, we'll be to 70%. They say 70 to 90% is herd, uh, herd immunity. We'll be at 70% by June 14th, man. I mean, that's just right around the corner. So there's really a light at the end of the tunnel. And one other thing, then you can comment if you want. Mississippi's at 26% for first dose, 17% fully vaccinated. 
And the important number to me that I've been really watching is this doses administered. You know, the, uh, the doses they received, how many of those have been administered? Mississippi is at 67%. That's down slightly from a few weeks ago. I think it was got popped out around in the mid to low 70s. But it's been hanging tough in that 67. That's important because if it continued to drop, that would indicate actually that less, uh, you know, we're getting the doses, we're not getting them out there, would mean that maybe more and more people are not getting the vaccine. And I do know people who are not getting the vaccine. I wish they would get the vaccine. But but it looks like a healthy number are still continuing to get the vaccine. So when we come back, we'll get a few thoughts from from, uh, Ashley Edwards from the Gulf Coast Business Council about why it's important to get the vaccine. This is really important. And uh, and then we'll move on uh, to what's going on at the Business Council and many other important things we can talk about. We'll be back after this break. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have uh, Ashley Edwards, the CEO from the Gulf Coast Business Council with us. And when we went to break, we were talking about the importance of getting the vaccine. 106.2 million Americans have gotten the vaccine, and we're making tremendous progress to getting to herd immunity. But Ashley, it's really important for people to get the vaccine, isn't it? It's, it's so incredibly important. I, I don't think we can stress it enough. I know we hear... PSAs out there everywhere about why you should get the vaccine. And, you know, you and I have talked before, Ricky, about the fact that, you know, online you see all of this misinformation and people saying the vaccine is dangerous, it hasn't been tested. And, you know, there is something that people really have to understand about this. And, you know, and don't take my word for it, you know, go go out, do the research. But, you know, there are a lot of folks out there that are devoting their lives now to the study of information warfare. And yeah, a lot of these things that sort of undermine, you know, undermine the vaccines, undermine the responses to the coronavirus, those are not coming from grassroots people. Those are in many cases are coming from America's adversaries. Um, they they use this. And, you know, and it's it's actually been well proven out there. There's lots of great State Department uh reports that have come out on it. But but it's 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 wading through all this misinformation because at the end of the day. We are the only ones that will lose by not getting this vaccine widely distributed. You know, our economy, our businesses, uh, our family members, employees, our own jobs. I mean, we're the ones that stand to lose from it. Nobody else. And, you know, I'm not a I'm not a physician. You're not a physician. But we certainly have friends that are physicians and we can see what the scientific consensus is. And, you know, a lot of times people kind of gloss over that. They say, yeah, well, there's a scientific consensus. But when you have overwhelmingly close to 100% of all the physicians, scientists, vaccine organizations in the world that say these are tested, they're safe, they should be taken, it's time for us to maybe listen to that. And, and you know, you think about the economic interest. If one of these vaccines was dangerous, in a capitalist economy like we have, there are so many competitors out there trying to also make vaccines that they would absolutely make sure that everybody knew, don't take this vaccine because it's not as good as ours. But that's not happening. 
I mean, the vaccine makers are saying, even if you can't take ours, go take a vaccine. It's important. So, I, you know, it, look, it, this to your to your point, if we can get this done by June, then we do have the potential here of having a normal, quote unquote, normal summer season. Um, and for our businesses that have really been hurting since throughout 2020, there's nothing that we could do that would be better for the region where we live. And for, frankly, for our own economic interest. Well, I'm not a doctor like you, but we, we both read a bunch. And I had the benefit of having really, really smart physicians on my show. One of them, Dr. Nicholas Conger. And then uh, Lee Bond from Singer River Health Systems and a you know, large number of others who are professionals at this. And there is 100% consensus uh, between the people that I talk to on a regular basis. And that is that if, if you don't get the vaccine, then what that could, what could, that could provide actually is a host site for the coronavirus mutation to take place. And we don't need that. I mean, the best way to shut this thing down is to get everybody vaccinated. So there's not a host site. The other point is, and you, and you, you said this really well, but if someone posts something that says that, that the vaccine is poisonous, and then you go look at the comments and you can't find a single comment that says it's not poisonous, what that shows you is that the artificial intelligence of Facebook by these foreign players or whoever's doing this, they're just using Facebook against us, which, you know, the way it works is that when there's a conversation taking place in Facebook, it, it sees that there's engagement. It doesn't really try to validate the information, although they claim they're doing a better job at that, and they may be doing a better job at that, but still, the amount of false information on Facebook is unbelievable. So it gets posted. People start to see it. They start to get engaged around it. The way the artificial intelligence works, that if you were engaged in a conversation similar to that before, then it will it will bring you into that conversation. And what it does is it makes it it makes it appear that everyone agrees with you. And that's actually very dangerous when you when you're talking about the about the vaccine. It's very dangerous. So if you have been in, yeah, go ahead. You just really want people to understand, you know, the technology that's out there, these chat bots. You know, these are robots that are responding in many cases to these posts to 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 give agreement or to try to put out false data. Uh, and you think it's just you know, people like like you or I that are out there doing that. And, you know, folks are working very hard to influence American citizens' opinions. And the best thing that we can do is not let them win that by falling prey to it. I mean, it, it's this is as important as anything we talk about. There, there, there's no doubt about that. It's the key to our economy. I went in my boat over to the Marina Cantina uh, over the weekend and you could just feel life coming back to coastal Mississippi, man. I mean, when you drive around, you feel it. People are going to the beach. Uh, Easter Sunday was just a beautiful day, just absolute world-class day here in coastal Mississippi. But, you know, we just need to kind of spur this along, get the vaccine, help this thing, put this thing to bed. And uh, the professionals continue to remind me that it's not going yet. There's still people that are, that are getting COVID. You have to be careful. But if you've got the vaccine, if you've, if you've received the second dosage and you, you know that, I think that two weeks afterwards, uh, this, after the second dosage, then you're, you're pretty safe and, you know, not to wear a mask unless of course the business where you're going requires it. And, uh, that's what the professionals are saying. You know, he, again, we're losing an opportunity on the national level to say that the, that the, uh, the reward you should be getting is not having to wear a mask if you get the vaccine. 
but we're still politicizing the mask to some extent, which is unfortunate. Okay, so at, we'll shift gears. Ashley, you guys, you are the uh, chairman of the Gulf Coast Restoration Fund Advisory Committee, and uh, now the legislature has funded their programs. Um, is your assessment that they did a better job this time of taking your advice? Or kind of what's the base your 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 uh, your observation now that we know what's going to be funded? Well, you know, the, the sort of the primary observation is that uh, they really doubled down on a lot of the projects that they had funded last year. Uh, you know, the way that this is working right now is that, um, you know, Mississippi Development Authority sort of views this as an annual appropriation. So if a project is appropriated money in 2020, but it doesn't start or doesn't draw down those funds, and it would have to be reappropriated in 2021 for it to still go forward. It's not just sort of, uh, you know, you get appropriated once and then the money is always available to that project. So what we saw this year was that they reappropriated money to a lot of the projects last year that had not been funded. Uh, and then they actually, in some cases, actually reappropriated new additional dollars to those same projects. So the, the list is similar to what we saw last year. Um, you know, I, I did see a little bit of a theme in some of the new projects they selected uh, that were more geared towards downtown revitalization. You know, I've got some questions about, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of those projects. You know, I mean, I, look, I, I sort of live in a world where there are lots of good ideas, but, you know, it has to be more than a good idea. It has to be a shovel-ready, uh, you know, financeable project uh, in order to go forward. And, I, you know, I'm not always certain in from what I can see in the bill, what, what exactly the pieces of those projects are. Uh, obviously, the hope is that they are far along. We, a lot of those we just did not review on the advisory committee. They never, they never came through our process. So we're, we're a little in the dark. Doesn't mean they're bad projects. Uh, doesn't mean they won't do a lot of good. We just don't have any details about, about what they'll do. I think it was Senator Bryce Wiggins who said this, and if it wasn't him, it's still, it's still an important comment. And it's the, it's the point of, the intention of the bill was to fund transformational projects, projects that would be the kind that would pay back for many years to come, as opposed to sort of a brick and mortar building in a city, you know, to, to really fund, to really engage private investment really is what, what we really would like to see. So we can push projects that may not otherwise have gone over the finish line, push them over the finish line because the state through the BP funds have a way of helping make the project viable. But I, I think he said this, that we're still we're still having a difficult time or we're still needing to define what transformational means. Do you agree with that? Completely agree with that. You know, and mm -hmm. you know, look, transformational is going to mean something different based on where you are. Transformation for Pascagoula is, is different than transformational for Biloxi. But we do need to at least have some local priorities to define what is transformational for them. And moreover, we need to have some measurements for that. You know. We need to have some ability to look at these projects and understand what the return on investment is going to be. Um, we need to start with a benefit cost analysis. What is the cost of doing this versus what is the ultimate benefit of doing it? And, uh, you know, th that's th those are not just sort of based on emotional reactions. I mean, that's a science. I mean, we can actually put put hard numbers on some of this to determine, you know, for look, for every dollar of public money we put in, it's going to return ten dollars to the community over time, and it's going to 
leverage another $10 of additional private investment. And those are the things that we need to be focused on. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There's a way to do that. I I wish we had a little bit more sophisticated system in place to do that. I'm I'm very impressed with what they're doing in Florida, um, which with with the similar funds that we have over in their their Florida uh, program, where they actually have that type of analysis going on uh, by third party professionals. I'd, I'd love to see some of that in the process. Well, let's continue this because the, the, the people who are members of the advisory committee were appointed by the Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor, and the Governor. And I'm interested to hear what kind of feedback are they asking for from the committee and you know where do we go from here? We'll be back after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Kofi. We have Ashley Edwards with us. He's the CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. He's also the chairman of the advisory committee for the Coast Gulf Coast Restoration Fund, which is essentially the BP money. There's a lot of pots of BP money, but this is the this is the the, the money that came back to the state as a result of the settlement we made, and we've got multiple years to be able to do really incredible things. So this is the second uh, tranche of money that have gone out by the legislature. It will soon go out. They just close the, the legislative session so we have a sense of what those projects are. You know, my read on it is this, that um, they are not utilizing the committee as much as they need to. You, you guys are, are uh, appointees by the, by the speaker, the lieutenant governor, and the, and the governor. You would think that they would come back to the committee because this is a really good um, the volunteer role, uh, really good business people. You would think that they would plug into you guys to get your input on the project or the process. Once your advisory role is completed, you kind of go off into the sunset, then they take it and run with it from there. My concern is that they're going to use the money too much for political purposes, just kind of spread it out to various uh, counties and municipalities along the coast. Um, You know, are they really focused on transformational projects? You know, I don't. We don't have enough information yet to know that. And Bryce may be right that we need to we need to get together and and define that better. Uh, I'm not. I'm really focused on them being transformational. I'm really focused on trying to find where there are private funds, shovel ready private projects where we can help sort of complete it. I, I've used this example many times because I think it's the best example that we can make. And that is in the new economy, we just start start thinking about the creative class and building the kind of places they want to come to and want, want to live. That mixed use downtown is really a big part of this. And we had one project in Gulfport that got a little bit of money, not nearly what they asked for. Don't even know, don't know where that project is at that at this point. I think there was another mixed use project in Pascagoula. Um, but they're, they're, those are good examples of kind of building the kind of places where people who are part of the new economy want to live. And that's actually part of the strategic focus of the, of the Coast, Gulf Coast Business Council, isn't it, isn't it, Ashley? So yeah. that's the best example that I can give at this point. That, that's not to say that there aren't other examples of what transformational could be. But payback ought to be the number one 
indicator of whether we're going to invest the money or not. It's got to be a long-term payback. What's your thoughts about that? Absolutely agree. Could not agree more. Um, you know, that's the name of the game now. I mean, we have to rethink public policy when it comes to when it comes to public spending on some of these things. Because if we're not incentivizing a way to better position ourselves for what is going to be seen as, you know, historically as the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, we're we're going through that, the early stages of that right now. Um, and it's going to fundamentally change everything we know about local economies, about regional economies. Uh, and we have an incredible opportunity. You know, there is no place in the country right now that has the kind of financial resources per capita that we have to invest here in these three coastal counties to prepare ourselves for that. And uh, it's, it's so incredibly important. Now, you know, look, I, I think some of these projects could certainly be transformational um, or they can be pieces of a, of a larger transformational strategy. Um, you know, and you're right, the business council is very focused on that, but you know, we can't do it alone. Our, our cities, our counties are going to have to get very focused on what transformational means to them. Uh, the legislators are going to have to take that into account. You know, I don't want to be critical of the projects they funded. Um, local priorities are always there. There's never enough money to fund all the needs that are out there. Uh, you know, it, it, being a legislator is a tough job. But then on the same note, I see things like, you know, putting uh, an incredible amount of money to to renovate the cafeteria in the George County Hospital. And I ask myself, how how exactly is that supposed to be transformational for our economy? So, you know, there I think it's a mixed bag. I think there are some things that I certainly could do well. I think other things just look like local needs getting filled. And uh, we need we need more of the first and less of the latter. I know some leaders, some leaders that you know, who kind of threw their hands up after the bill was passed and had just the, the board as an advisory board, because many of them said at the moment, they said, okay, we just made this a legislative process. We just, we just had to ask the legislature to send 75% of the money down here. And then they put a loop in that says now legislatively, they have to approve everything that's spent, which I, I guess that's not so bad. If you would have a tighter connection between those evaluating the projects and those who are distributing the money, but if 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 once you get the advisory role input and just set the advisory committee aside and then make it sort of a political process where people have to go up there and lobby for their projects. So as you pointed out in the first round, wasn't it like eight of twenty six projects were passed through your committee? That means that all the others came around your committee. So. It just seems not that we're not getting the transformation that way. And what is it that Florida did that you were so impressed with? Well, you know, their committee structure was was interesting in that they, they really had what I would call like a board of trustees that had incredible fiduciary responsibility to ensure return on investment, to ensure benefit cost analysis in their projects. Um, you know, look, I understand the legislature Ultimately, I mean, their constitutional authority is to hold the purse strings. I, I get that. They wanted to have that role. Um, when we from the Business Council advocated for creating a board of trustees or some sort of an advisory committee in the end, when we knew that the legislature wanted to keep it internal, uh, you know, we did that because we wanted to make sure that, that um, you know, there, there was a voice for the coast, that there was a way to publicly vet some of these projects. And you know, part of the, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that the advisory board has all the right ideas. 
but you have a diverse group of people with great backgrounds that really understand what the needs are. And the real advantage of it is it takes place in open meetings and open forums in public. Everybody can see what's been applied for. Everybody can see where the money's going to go. And I think that the, the real travesty of the process is that the legislature set up the process to have this advisory board. And now, you know, the, the process is being circumvented because, you know, uh, uh, in some ways you could actually argue that an applicant is, you know, it, it's sort of uh, not in their best interest to go through our process because it's very open and public and they have to put their cards face up on the table about who's getting the money and where it's going to go and how it's going to be spent um, with projects that never come before us and they're just lobbying the legislatures directly. We don't necessarily have that on the front end. So again, you know, it's certainly possible for a good transformational project to, uh, to be achieved both ways, but we're just at an information disadvantage, mm-hmm. a little bit of an asymmetry there on the back end when we don't know what the project is. The, what the GovCo's Business Council should do um, with the lieutenant governor, the governor, and the speaker is say, the one thing you can do that will improve this process, because what we need to do is we need we need to make it tighter and better as we go on. Okay, we're not necessarily criticizing anything. We, we, we're in a place we've never been before. Okay. And we got years to, you know, we don't have years to get this right, but we've got years to make investments that could be very significant for coastal Mississippi. What we need to do is we need to make sure that at least at the very least, every single project must go through this advisory committee or we will not look at it. That's what they should do. They're allowing people to circumvent and that's where the politics are coming in. So then, then these, municipalities or counties or private investors are going directly to the lieutenant governor and, you know, lobbying him directly. Yeah, I I think, you know, that's the way the process is set up right now, but it seems to me that to validate the projects and with focus on improving the process and, and empowering these very good business people that have been accumulated in this advisory group and appointed by the big three, I might add, um, that that we're empowering them to help us improve the process, but there's not that loop there right now. And so, I, if I were the, if I were the business council, that one change would probably improve things greatly. It would probably improve improve things greatly. They leave it the way it is. They might as well just abolish the advisory committee because it's not it's not getting where they need to go, and that's not good for anybody. I will never advocate that. Actually, we need it. We need the rigor. The evaluation, the, the 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 transparency that having an advisory committee brings to a process like this to make it the best it can be. And I hope that they're paying attention to that. I really do. Um, we're going to shift gears. What's on your mind about the Business Council these days, Ashley? Well, you know, exactly what we just talked about is kind of in the forefront right now. But I will tell you, um, I'm really excited. We have uh, a meeting of our executive committee coming up, and our executive committee is composed of uh, you know, well-placed CEOs, community leaders across across the coast that represent uh, a lot of economic activity, a lot of employees, and and we're doing some strategic planning. So we're really sort of talking about what what do we want to try to accomplish in the next two years, and uh, moreover, how do we measure it? How how can we measure it and hold ourselves accountable to make sure uh, that these things are actually occurring? And so uh, we actually have that coming up at the end of this week. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a lot of the same things that you and I are talking about. You know, our focus right now uh, is, is absolutely on this idea of our of our evolving regional economy. Uh, how do we position ourselves for more sustainability, for more success? How can we influence uh, 
public funding in such a way that it's going towards real community investments uh, that will have payoff? How do we then leverage that into getting more private investment, creating more jobs, more opportunities? I mean, that's really what we're doing here. And, you know, we all we all have a role to play. I mean, you know, just like we were talking about earlier about the legislators, uh, it's probably easy for someone to listen to me and say, well, he's you know, he's being critical of the legislators. And I'm really not. I understand you know, having worked in, in Jackson for the better part of 25 years, I mean, I, I understand the job that they have to go up there to do. And they have to bring home resources to their to their constituency and their home district. And they, they have a lot of people that are asking them for things. Um, but it's also the responsibilities of the cities and counties to figure out what those priorities are so that when we go and make those asks to the legislature, um, they're able to say, yeah, that makes, that makes good sense. That project has been well vetted and well thought out. It has a good ROI. Well, we'll uh, we'll continue this conversation. It's important to Coastal Mississippi. When we come back, I'm actually interested in what Ashley is grateful for. Also, what makes him happy? We'll talk about that as well. We'll see you after this break. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to the final segment of Coast View. We have Ashley Edwards, CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. Last week, Ashley, on Thursday and Friday, we had days of, of gratitude. We actually carried that into yesterday where we had Brian and Marie Sanderson. And three incredible businesses they funded through their nonprofit uh, Mississippi Thirty Day Fund. It was just a just a great visit. I enjoyed it so much. But um, we all talked about what we're grateful for, and you know, COVID has a way of kind of centering us in the things that really matter in our lives. What what when you when you boil everything away and just sit in the quietness of your thoughts, what are you most uh, thankful for? You know, it, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I'm actually thankful for getting older. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I really do feel like as the older I get uh, and the more I sort of learn about the world and have experience under my belt, uh, the easier it is essentially becoming for me. I start I start to understand things more. And, you know, 2020 was a tough year. I mean, all of us really saw the uh, the incredible benefits of our health and and being healthy, because when you lose that, you really don't have anything left. And mm-hmm. uh, there's just been so many reminders throughout throughout 2020. But, you know, uh, I'm extremely thankful for my wife, just a salt of the earth woman, keeps me very grounded. And, you know, and uh, the time that I got to, you know, the additional time I got to spend with her, I mean, during 2020, you know, working uh, remotely and things like that. I mean, you know, we've lived a life where, you know, we see each other and passing in the morning, getting ready to get out the door. And then, you know, as we're trying to get homework done and dinner cooked and things like that at night, by the time that you lay down in bed, you're so tired, you have little time to talk. So, you know, the, the relationships that, that, you know, that have strengthened as a result of that are, I think, are really important to me. And, uh, and I will just add one other thing that's maybe not as important to a lot of folks, but uh, baseball season's back. I'm a huge Braves fan. And uh, baseball season is back as of last Thursday. And uh, just, you know, being able to to mindlessly uh, watch a good pitching performance is is something that, uh, that that's a quality of life thing for me. I, I love baseball. 
Well, the, the music, musician Bonnie Raitt uh, said this about, about you, know, um, you know, getting wiser as we get older. She said, life gets mighty precious when there's less, uh, less of, well, excuse me, life gets mighty precious when there's less of it to waste, <laughs> you know, yes. and th there's something to be said for that. But, you know, there is a lot to be said for getting, you know, w wise, you know. Um, and how do you, how do you get wise? You gotta, you gotta go out there and you gotta make, you gotta make moves. You gotta be willing to take risks. You gotta volunteer in the community. You gotta be willing to have people criticize you, which, you know, it's interesting that that has to come with being a volunteer in the community, but that's just the way it is. But someone also once said this, the one who falls and gets up is much stronger than the one who never fell. You know, you know, if I look back at my life, Ashley, and the things that I did, particularly toward the end of my career. I found that the things that made me ha happy in, in my career, the things that made me happy in my career often had with it tremendous responsibility. You know, it's, it's tremendous responsibility. It might have been on, on sort of transformational digital media efforts that I was involved in. You know, if it was, you know, leading the oil recovery effort, uh, planning effort for, for Governor Riley over in, in Alabama. It seemed to me the things that I enjoyed the most had lots of responsibility and was, you know, very public, 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 which obviously meant that in this day of social media, you had to expose yourself to criticism. But, um, but isn't that interesting? Because I think as you get wiser, you see things different. That's that goes back to this point that John Harrison said about being involved in the community. And you and I've talked about this before as well. That you don't just decide you're going to go lead United Way or lead the Gulf Coast Business Council. You got to do your reps. You got to get started somewhere, you know, and you know, and, and succeed and fail and, and and flex muscles you've never flexed before, and you work your way up. But um but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to this whole comment that you made about you know getting wiser. You know that that there's some happiness in just getting wiser, isn't there? Uh, look, I'm thankful for every mistake I've ever made because they were all tremendous lessons. And in a lot of cases, I'm glad that I made them early um, and was able to learn from them. Uh, you know, and I will make I will make plenty more. I mean, you know, we uh, we're, I'm I'm very tough on myself. I think we live in a a culture that makes us be our own biggest critics sometimes and. Um, you know, we all we all have that to some extent, but uh, you know, uh, life is a learning process, and uh, and I've learned I've learned a lot of hard lessons. You know, um, yeah. I've, but but on the same note, you know, as as you learn them, uh, you're able to approach each day a little bit better. And I'm I'm a big fan of the word intentional. You know, it's a it's a common word, but we got to be more intentional about the way we live our live our lives. We we have to stop leaving so much. Uh, to chance or coincidence and start getting real intentional, you know, intentional about the words we say, intentional about the mm -hmm. thing, intentional about the way we treat other people. Um, well, hey, listen, man, I can't agree more. Um, I had a conversation with a, a woman who, her, she was vice president of uh, human resources for Knight Ritter. We're coming to the end of the segment. Her name is Mary, Mary Jean Connors. Terrific. We're still friends on Facebook today. And one time we just had a conversation about the the power of nice. Just being nice and, and how people are drawn to that. You know, one day we're just going to have a conversation about that, about, you know, how did nice get, you know, do, well, first of all, the one thing about Mississippi is that we have a lot of nice people in Mississippi. Social media makes people not nice. And is that important? 
You know, I mean, are there's for every person that's not nice, or there's a thousand more that are nice that just aren't expressing themselves. We tend to overweigh the the you know what we get from the social media feedback. But with all that said, here's the last quote of the day. Every morning you have two choices: continue to sleep with your dreams, or wake up and chase them. And most of the happy people and most successful people I know, they chase their dreams and uh, never were satisfied, always looking for the next dream. Anyway. Ashley Edwards, it's been a pleasure to meet with you, and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, buddy? Ricky, thank you. It's always a pleasure, and you're doing a great service for our, for our coast. So thank you for all the work you do. I appreciate it, man. It's been great. We'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.